So this morning we're continuing in our sermon series on the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, we're moving our way through here, you know, line by line by line, section by section. And this morning we're up to Galatians 2, verses 11 to 21. In my Bible it says, Paul opposes Peter. And uh, the, the text will be on the screen behind me. Let's read God's word. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Galatians. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the, from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not quote, Gentile sinners, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, And gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the law. Thanks be to God. Uh, So this week I was reading a book about uh, Christian counseling. There's a, a woman that's written about 35 books. Her name is Elise Fitzpatrick. And in, in it, she, she shares her testimony as a way of teaching people, well, what really is the gospel? Gospel is a word that's thrown around a lot, but do we really understand what it means? And she tells her story, and it's, it's an incredible story. It's, it's somewhat of a, a familiar story. You know, she spent her teen years and her early 20s chasing after all these other things, and uh, she had been married and had a baby and gotten divorced by the time that she was 20. And I thought this quote was interesting. It was during the following years that I discovered the anesthetizing effects of drugs, alcohol, and illicit relationships. So that's what she was looking to, to just to deal with uh, the tragedy of life, the difficulty. And she says, although I was known as someone who liked to party, I was utterly lost and joyless and was beginning to know it. Well, her her neighbor befriended her and walked alongside her and shared the gospel with her and encouraged her to explore not this, 
you know, Sunday school knowledge that she had had, this vague sort of knowledge that had nothing to do with her life then, but to really explore the gospel and what it meant. And she, she came to faith in Christ and has been serving the church for these, uh, you know, nearly 50 years now. And it, it's an amazing story. We, you know, I love those stories. Uh, I'm sure a lot of us love these stories of really a, a rebel that comes home that comes back, that leaves a life of, of, uh, of sin and rebellion and comes home. But what was striking to me was that the gospel isn't just for the person who's finding their days consumed by drugs, alcohol, and illicit relationships. Uh, the gospel is for Pharisees who think they're better than everyone. The gospel is for people who look down on others because of X, Y, and Z. The gospel is for the church, for religious people who realize that they can't earn God's salvation, but it's freely given to to them, to us. So I want to spend a little bit of time this morning looking at the gospel and then how it affects our relationships, especially our conflicts. And we're going to look at the way that Paul confronted Peter as a way that, we, that, that the gospel can be applied to this area of our life, to deepen our relationships. So what, what is the gospel? Paul lays it out very clearly in verse 16. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop right there because there's a lot you know, in this verse to kind of break down. That nobody, no person, not me, not you, not anybody is justified by works of the law, by, by works of what they do. We can't earn God's love. But through faith in Christ, we have that. We are justified. He goes on to say, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith and not by works of the law. It's by faith. It's not by works. If you want to hear a little bit more about this, come to the Reformation Day service on October 27th because that is so much of what the Reformation was about. And then Paul reiterates it because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And what is to be justified? To be justified is to be, to be right with God. You know, to have a right relationship, to have that right standing with God. And Peter is, is Jewish. So he stands in this long tradition of the, the law, what they call the Torah, uh, obeying it. And even though Acts 10 happened, Acts 10 was when, you know, Peter received a vision and God said to him, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. And God was saying to Peter, you can eat anything. You don't need to follow all the the laws and regulations of the Old Testament. And yet, now, he knows that. He had that experience. But he's, you know, we used to call it backsliding. He's backsliding. And he's going back to his old ways. He's saying, you know, I can't eat with the Gentiles because they're unclean. Especially when his, you know, his Jewish friends come in 
And this is so new and so radical to them. And that's, that's what's happening. And the same is true today because most of us think of the gospel as, as religion. You know, that if we, if we do good, if we are a good person and we, you know, dot our I's and cross our T's and we do all the right things, then God will have to accept us. Instead of faith in Christ, Paul says it again and again. Surrender yourself to Christ. Look to him alone and what he's done. Put your faith in him. And a lot of us think that we can be justified by our work. You know, that if, we, if, we're, a, if we're a pillar in the church or a pillar in the community, then God will be happy with us. Instead of realizing right now that because of Jesus and what he's done and our faith in him, God looks at us and delights in us. He's already smiling at us. There is, there is this bad news that comes before the good news. And the bad news is, as Paul says somewhere else, that there's no one that's righteous. Not one. I have a friend, that his, his church down in Florida, they, every, wor- every week, no matter who's preaching, they lay out the bad news and the good news. And they're really explicit about it. There's nothing wrong with that because this is what we believe. This is the core of our faith. And the way that Galatians lays it out is, what's the gospel? It's getting, it's getting the order right. You know, if we, if we get the order messed up, we're going to be totally thrown off. The, the, the Judaizers, these, these religious people, uh, they said that you believe in the Lord, you keep the law, and then, at the end of your life, you'll be saved. Where Paul is saying, you believe in the Lord, and at that moment, you're saved. And then, you, you keep the law, you live for him. And really, the, the Heidelberg Catechism that we teach at this church and that so many of us have gone through, some, of, some our whole lives, that lays it out. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. It's not guilt and then gratitude. You know, you've got to be really thankful. You better, you better be thankful this morning or God's not going to give you his grace. That's not how it works. We have to get the order right that Paul gives us. And this, this gospel that Paul has laid out, it goes you know, deep into our hearts. It goes wide into our whole lives. It affects every area of our life. And yet it goes deep. And that's, that's uh, you know, I was thinking about calling the sermon The Gospel Changes Everything. Because that's true. The gospel changes the way we live our life, the way we spend our money, the way we look at family and work and everything. And the gospel changes everything how we approach conflict and how we deal with conflict. And it, it, it changes us from the inside out. I knew, so there's a really famous quote from Martin Luther. Uh, uh, I'm going to share it with you right now. What I didn't know is that it comes from his commentary on this passage. He says, this is the truth of the gospel. It is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary it is that we know this article well, 
Teach it, in, teach it to others and beat it into their heads continually. Beat it into their heads continually. So that's what I'm going to do this whole Galatians series. That's what I hope I've been doing. And, and it's not just pastors that are supposed to beat it into their heads of their congregation. We, uh, we're supposed to beat it into our own heads. We're supposed to wake up every morning and know, you know what? God's grace is flowing into my life. And it's not about me working my way up to God. And so then I can approach that person that I've been putting off. I can approach that person that I'm afraid of. I can approach that person that needs to, to, uh, to have the conversation with in a, in a new way. So I had this... I had this incident a few years, uh, a few years ago. It was, about, it was about five years ago because I know it was when we, we had Silas baptized. There was, a, there was a, um, a, young, you know, a young woman that had been visiting our church for a few months and uh, she said that she would not be comfortable being in a church service where Silas would be baptized, you know, where the infant was baptized. And I was like, this was very surprising to me. And, you know, at the end of the day, a Christian Reformed church is not a good fit for somebody who's going to feel that strongly about it. But at the time, I just said, you know, you should come to the service and observe what happens and see, like, what the pastor says and what Lily and I say. And just, you know, you should observe a, an infant baptism. And that backfired because that felt like to her, it felt like I was twisting her arm or I was just like, you know, forcing her to go to this thing that she didn't want to. And she ended up coming, but at the end of the service, which I thought was this very joyful occasion and it was a great time and my, my son is being baptized and it was amazing, there's somebody waiting for me in the back of the sanctuary bawling their eyes out, just angry and upset and, uh, and mad at me. So nobody wants to have those kind of conversations, right? Our lives are busy enough, they're full enough, um, but we as a culture, I think we've gotten worse at conflict. (laughs) I think we've gotten worse. You know, we used to at least sit down with somebody, put our cards on the table, and, you know, maybe get mad, but then move, move forward, but now it seems like we just shout at each other and we demonize, you know, whatever political party we're not of, we demonize the other side and we're just, we're just yelling at people all the time and we're never actually having a good, constructive dialogue. And a lot of us are scared of conflict. Uh, we call this conflict avoidant. So we just kind of run from conflict. Whenever we get into a situation where there might be conflict, we just run for the hills and leave that situation, leave that relationship, whatever. Others of us are bulls in a china shop, and we just kind of run into conflict and make a big mess, and things get broken. But the gospel is so much different than any of that. Look at the way that, that Paul confronts Peter. He, he does it direct. He does it face-to-face. It's actually, in this situation, it's in front of other people, which sometimes needs to happen because of the public nature of, of the offense or of the sin. But the gospel made Paul courageous. 
And it helped him to let go of some of those fears that he must have had. I mean, he's going to confront Peter, you know, the one that walked with Jesus for three years, this, uh, you know, this apostle, the one that Jesus said is the rock on which the church is built. I mean, Paul, Paul is an apostle too, and he's talked about that in the book, but he had to be a little self-conscious about this, confronting the great Peter. And look at the way that he confronts him. He doesn't say, you know what, Peter? You're being a hypocrite. You're being racist. You won't, you won't eat with other groups. You think you're better than them because of this. He could have brought in Bible verses to point that out, to show how he was being a hypocrite. He could have shamed him. But he didn't do that. What did he say? He said, you're not living in line with the truth of the gospel. You're not living in line with how you've committed to live. You're not living in line with the light of the gospel that illuminates our whole lives. He invites this this brother in the Lord to start applying the gospel to his whole life and deep, you know, deep into his heart. And the result is that Peter changes. And that, what I think is amazing about that is uh, that he shows his own maturity. You know, it's really difficult when someone confronts us, when someone engages us in conflict, especially in front of other people. And it's really hard not to be defensive. Or say, oh, you know what, that's not how I meant it. Or, or my favorite one that we hear all the time now, sorry if you were offended. Like it's, like it's that person's fault that, uh, that, you know, I didn't mean it like that. But the gospel does a work in us. It humbles us. It says, you know what, I am a bad person. I probably did do that, whatever it was, you know. We can learn, we can learn something from even the most unfair critic even a critic who doesn't even know us or not giving us the benefit of the doubt, we get to take what they say and if there's any tiny kernel, any tiny seed of the truth in what they're saying and take it to heart, to consider it. What could God be saying to me? What could be a way that he wants me to grow? And Peter stops living hypocritically and he lives his life more and more in line with the gospel. So how could, how could this gospel-centered conflict, how could it affect your, uh, your parenting, for example? You know, I heard another pastor say that hardly any of us grows up with, with this, you know, familiarity with grace, this familiarity with the gospel. It's so much easier to parent with the law, you know, with, with consequences, with... Um, you know, shaming our kids, all these sorts of things. But what if, you know, what if we raised a generation of grace, <laughs> grace kids, and a generation that the, the parents, you know, myself, my identity's not wrapped up in how my kids were doing, but my identity is what Paul says in verse 20. I'm a new creation. I'm in Christ. The reason that, that I was offended and upset about this incident at the baptism was I was so wrapped up in making it a perfect thing for my son. And that's just never how life goes. 
I was sensitive about it. I was overprotective. It would change the way that we, that we parent this gospel-centered conflict. It also changes the way that, uh, that we relate to our spouse. You know, first of all, it's, it's another reason to marry a believer. Somebody who's saying, yeah, I, wanna, I want to put my foundation in the gospel so that we have this common language. We can forgive each other. We can engage in conflict. We don't have to be conflict avoidant. We don't have to be bulls in a china shop and charge right in. But we can engage each other. We can recognize, you know what? I'm broken, but I'm beloved by God. And you are broken, and you're beloved by God. And so how can we engage each other? How can we be curious? How can we uphold the other person as our spouse, our brother and sister in Christ? And how would, uh, how would this affect us? You know, maybe we're a teenager, maybe we're a young adult. You know, to not be, to not be ruled by what other people think. To not vilify the other side of the issue and say, oh, that person that's got the conflict with me, they're 100% wrong and I'm 100% right and all these things. To discover from a young age to be like Jesus. You know, Jesus was full of grace and truth. And that's what, that's what Paul brought to this situation. That's what we're looking for. So, we, we look to Christ. We live by the gospel. We can't earn our salvation. We are safe in Jesus because of the faith that we have. We, we use that to navigate the conflict. So that can, that can motivate us and inspire us to have that difficult conversation, to not put too much into it, to know that we're safe in Christ, and to apply the gospel to every area of our life so that it goes deep into our hearts and it goes wide across conflict, across everything else that the scriptures teach us. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Our Lord God, we thank you for your word and what it teaches us about so many areas of life. We thank you for our brother Peter who engaged our... our uh, uh, you know, allowed himself to be engaged by Paul and have that conversation and begin to live his life more and more according to the truth of the gospel. Lord, we pray that you will speak to us by your word and by your spirit and speak to us even through the difficult conversations that we have. That we will look at them as opportunities to become more and more like Jesus. Jesus who taught us to turn the other cheek. Jesus who was unjustly condemned. Jesus who went to the cross for his enemies. Lord, may, may we be more like you. May we root ourselves in the good news, all that you have done for us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.